Hey listeners, it's episode 102 of SSR. I don't have a super cool guest to introduce you to on today's episode because it is just me and the mic. It's Q&A time. I can't believe it's been a full year since I last recorded one of these. I guess that just means it's about time that I catch up on your questions. On this episode, you'll hear me answer questions about everything from my dream guests and favorite episodes to our recent move and my own creative writing projects. I'll share about my goals for the podcast and talk a little bit more about the kinds of changes I want to make on SSR in year three. That's right, friends. We are now heading into year three of the show. I know I say it all the time, but I just want to thank you all again for your love and support these last two years. Time has flown, and sometimes it feels like all of this just kind of materialized from nothing, but it is your love for the pod that has really kept me going since it launched. As we round out this second year of the podcast, I'm taking the very shortest summer hiatus. Assuming you're listening to this episode in real time, there will be no new episode next week. The next one will be coming your way on Tuesday, July 14th. As has become a sort of unofficial tradition here on SSR, we are kicking off the new year with a Sweet Valley High episode, this one featuring two of my good friends who are starting their own podcast. I can't wait for you to laugh with us and to hear more about their show. In the meantime, it's a great time to catch up on any episodes you may have missed or to revisit some of your old favorites. After all, we are all about revisiting on SSR. I will also continue to post new content on the SSR blog at www.ssrpodcast.com blog and across social media. If you haven't already, find me at SSRpod on Instagram and Twitter and by searching the SSR podcast on Facebook. If you're missing new episodes of the show next week and haven't left a five-star rating or review on iTunes yet, it might be a great time to do that. My goals for the podcast are even bigger heading into this new year, and having those ratings and reviews will give me a much appreciated boost as I continue to seek out new guests and opportunities. Later in this episode, you'll hear me share more about why I am hoping to grow the Patreon community right now. If you're feeling inspired to join me there, visit www.patreon.com ssrpodcast or go to www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page for more information and next steps. Remember, you can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, and it gives you a great opportunity to play a tangible role in SSR's journey. Thank you so much to all of the patrons tuning in now. Finally, if you find yourself out of things to listen to until new episodes of SSR are back, definitely check out Libra FM. Libra FM is an amazing platform that allows you to support independent bookstores with the purchase of the same audiobooks that you can get from bigger companies. They're the same price, too. Use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Let me know what you decide to listen to. Okay, time to start queuing your A's. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old-school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hafkasik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is episode 102 of the SSR podcast, and today it is just me. I try to do one or two of these Q&A episodes every year. 
especially when I take little breaks between book episodes. It's a lot of fun having the chance to see what questions you have for me and, of course, to answer them. For those of you who are newer to the podcast, I will be sure to link to older Q&A episodes in the show notes for episode 102. Check out www.ssrpodcast.com slash listen slash episode 102 for those links, as well as links to other episodes and titles mentioned in the Q&A. Before I get into these questions, I wanted to say a big thank you for all of your support. Over the last two weeks, we have celebrated the 100th episode of the podcast, as well as SSR's two-year anniversary. I never could have reached those milestones without this community. Thank you for championing the show, for listening, for downloading, for sharing, for reviewing. The list goes on. Your feedback and the conversations we've had have made the show better and have made me a better reader, podcaster, and person. Producing and hosting SSR continues to be one of the most rewarding things I have ever done. It's also pushed me to continually examine my own worldview and my own privilege. As a result of that continuous personal reflection, my plans for the podcast are ever-evolving. I'll share more about those plans later on in this episode. Okay, let's jump into the Q&A. I will start with some basic reading questions. The first question comes from Kate Gala on Instagram, who wants to know, when and where is your favorite time and place to read? I guess there are two answers to this question. There's the practical answer, because there are certain circumstances under which I pretty much know that I'll always have time to read. And since my TBR list seems to never stop growing, I will take those circumstances any day. Like many people, I pretty much read every night before I fall asleep. I know that's kind of boring, but it's the truth. Recently, I've been trying to get into bed between 9 and 9.30, about 30 to 45 minutes before Matt gets into bed, for some dedicated reading time. For a while there, I had gotten into the habit of getting into bed on the later side and squeezing in a few pages literally right before I fell asleep. I wasn't getting much reading done during that period. Prioritizing a little extra time has made a big difference, and, well, I love being in my bed. But my favorite time and place to read... Since we've moved and been in quarantine and the pace of our life has changed, I've been getting more long blocks of free time on the weekends to read. I love a Sunday morning reading session especially. I'm still figuring out my favorite reading spots in our new home, but sitting on our deck is dreamy and we have some new living room furniture that is very comfortable. I also like taking Irv to the park nearby and bringing a book. There's plenty of space to stay socially distant and lots of dogs to watch, which is obviously a perk. If we're talking about my ultimate favorite time and place to read, though, it's pretty much anywhere on a vacation. I love a beach or a lounge chair by a pool or a hammock or the front porch of a beach house. I'll take any of it, anytime. Here is another question from my friend Julia in the SSR Podcast Community Facebook group. She asks, when you post a stack of books on Instagram, are you reading them all simultaneously or do you finish one before moving on to the next in the stack? I'm usually not reading more than two books at a time, one for the podcast, one for my personal reading, and then sometimes an audiobook too. If I post a stack of books on social media, it's usually because they're all part of a monthly TBR list or because they share something else in common. I am so impressed by people who can juggle more than a handful of books at once. I would get so much more reading done if I could do that. That brings me nicely to another question from Kate Gala on Instagram. Do you set a reading goal for yourself for the year outside of books read for SSR? For the last two years, I have set a reading goal for myself, largely because of inspiration from Bookstagram. This year, my goal is to read 90 books, but that includes the books I'm reading for the podcast and the books that I'm reading for myself for fun. I don't set a separate personal goal. A lot of the books I read for SSR are, of course, a lot shorter than the adult titles I read, and I know that my yearly goal would probably be a lot less if not for the podcast. 
something that I'm very aware of in setting and tracking and trying to meet a reading goal is that it's not a competition. All too often, I think we feel pressure from Bookstagram to read like the most. And for me, that's just not what it's about. I am a person who is highly driven by metrics and I love a project. So setting a reading goal at the beginning of the year keeps me motivated to keep up with what I want to read and can pull me out of a reading rut. But it's more important to take in what you're reading, to learn from it and to enjoy it. I know a lot of people track their reading goals on Goodreads, which is a perfect segue to a question from emilyc894 on Instagram. What is your history with Goodreads? Will you ever do a blog post about it? Oh, this question makes me laugh only because I have been hinting at my weird Goodreads story for a while now and I have never shared about it and now I feel like I've hyped the whole thing up. I don't use Goodreads now and I haven't since about 2013 and maybe now is the time to share why. I will try to make a long story short here. When I was a young sales assistant at a major publishing house, Goodreads was the hot new thing. All of my coworkers and I were learning about it together, and since we were all crazy about reading, we were obviously psyched to use it. We all got accounts and were asked by our bosses to use it to share feedback about the advanced copies we were receiving at work, in addition to our personal reading. At one point, I granted a three or four star rating to an advance that I liked but didn't love. In the comments, I raved about the author's debut and said that, again, I liked but didn't love the new book. A few days later, my boss pulled me into his office and shared that the author's agent had traced that review back to me. Goodreads was new and there weren't that many people getting advances and posting reviews of them there. Plus, the book was written by a mid-list author who wasn't getting as many reads as others. I had loved her first book, so I was excited to read it, but it wasn't hard to trace it to me. The agent was pissed, the author was pissed, the publisher was informed. I had to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the publisher and I wrote apologies to the agent and author. I was devastated and so embarrassed by the whole situation, especially because I liked the book. For obvious reasons, I deleted my Goodreads account then and there. When I quit my publishing job, I considered starting it back up again, but by then I had another system to track my reading anyway and I didn't want to start from scratch. So that's the Goodreads story. A lot of you have speculated about that, so you'll have to let me know if it's anything like you expected. I don't think I've ever been asked about a specific adult book for a Q&A episode, so it was really fun to see someone ask for my thoughts on Rodham by Curtis Sinfeld. Hmm, um, I would say my thoughts are mixed, and I'm bummed about that because Rodham was easily one of my most anticipated books of the year. Curtis Sittenfeld is one of my very favorite authors, and I couldn't have been more excited to hear that she was writing a revised history of HRC's life. In case you missed it, the premise of this book is that Hillary Rodham never agreed to marry Bill Clinton. I was very intrigued. Unfortunately though, I think this one may have been a case of a little too much hype on Bookstagram. My expectations for it were just so high. I saw some reviews that the writing wasn't Sittenfeld's best, and while I can see that argument, that wasn't really my issue. I actually really struggled with the very fine line that she was walking between fact and fiction. This might sound really weird, but I had a hard time with all of the pretty graphic sex scenes between a college-aged Hillary and Bill. I had a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that it was meant to be fiction, and I think that mental processing proved to be really distracting for me from start to finish. Next, I will turn my attention to a question about books from my younger years. One listener asked, were you a Twilight or Hunger Games gal growing up? Okay, so I refreshed my memory a little with some Google searches here, and it looks like the first book in the Twilight series was published in October of 2005. I had just turned 15, and I was a sophomore in high school. I'm almost positive I didn't read Twilight right away. If I'm being honest, I think I was being a little bit of a snob and judging all of my classmates who were obsessing over it, but I do have a very distinct memory of reading the whole series while I was at the beach with my family in the summer. I'm not sure if I waited for a few more summers until more of the books were out and I could read them back to back, 
but that may have been what happened. In any case, when I read them, I loved them, and I was kicking myself for being such a snob and not getting to them earlier. As for The Hunger Games, I came to those even later. The first book was published when I was a freshman in college, and I didn't read it right away. I'm not sure if I was being a snob again or if I just didn't have time, but I actually didn't jump on the bandwagon with The Hunger Games until years later when I had already graduated from college and was working in children's publishing. At that point, The Hunger Games was still all the rage. I didn't work for the publishing house that published it, but I was working in the sales department and since Suzanne Collins was absolutely crushing it with sales, I figured I should figure out what all of the fuss was about. I'm pretty sure I binged the whole series over Christmas week. Given how the timing of all of that reading played out, I'm not sure I could truthfully call myself a Twilight or Hunger Games gal per se, but I did eat them like candy once I finally got on board. Now I will shift my focus to a few questions that are a bit more specific to the podcast. There were a few questions about my favorite reread of the year, my favorite reread I've ever done for the podcast, and my favorite episode, so I'll go to those next. My favorite throwback reread of 2020 so far was probably the first Gossip Girl book, or Catherine Called Birdie. The Catherine Called Birdie episode hasn't dropped yet, but stay tuned, and there will be another Gossip Girl episode coming your way soon, too. Asking me about my all-time favorite book or episode of SSR feels a little bit like having to choose my favorite child, but in this moment, I'd have to say that I've had a lot of fun with some of the girl-centric coming-of-age stories by Judy Bloom. Forever, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, and Just As Long As We're Together have all been really great to revisit as a nearly 30-year-old woman. Judy Bloom is such a master at exploring key transitional moments for kids. Puberty, sex, shifting friendships, changing family dynamics, but I couldn't see just how masterful she was until I'd been through those things myself. It's a cool experience to reread those books with a better sense of hindsight, and breaking them down with other adult women is an ultimate form of girl talk. I got a few questions this time around about how far out I have episodes planned. I'm absolutely obsessed with planning and organizing pretty much all things, so I love this question. Getting systems in place to make sure that I could consistently release episodes of the podcast while also keeping up with my day job was a key part of SSR's success from the beginning. I basically always have episodes booked out for at least one month, and more often than not, they're booked out for closer to two months. As I record this, it's mid-June, and I have the roster all planned out for every episode dropping between now and September 15th. I allow myself all of this runway for a few reasons. First of all, it gives me plenty of wiggle room in case something comes up with a guest. I can reschedule their recording or move things around with release dates and nothing ever feels like it's going into crisis mode. Because I am a one-woman show, I do all of the scheduling, reading, researching, prepping, recording, editing, and promotion myself, so wiggle room is really important. Plus, the podcast isn't my full-time job. The other major reason that I like to have things booked out so far in advance goes back to the nature of the podcast. If I'm going to ask my guests to read a whole book before we can record, and if I'm going to assign all that required reading to myself, I need to allow plenty of time. All of this prior planning allows me to stay very on top of all things SSR and ensures that I pretty much never miss a week, but it can make it difficult for me to adapt. One place where I'm really trying to step up my game, for example, is in the diversity of guests on the show. This has always been important to me, but it's become extremely evident over the last few weeks that saying it's important to me isn't enough. I need to figure out how to make the show feel more welcoming for guests of color. That's my responsibility. I've been working on outreach to several black guests in particular, and while a few of them have already committed to joining me on the show, those episodes won't drop until September. This is the downside of having to plan things so far in advance. Speaking of goals for the podcast, M. Goldschlager asked me over on Instagram about the future podcast goals I am most excited for. I'll echo what I said a few moments ago about diversity, both in terms of guests and book selection. 
the tricky thing about a podcast that focuses on throwback titles and calling out the problems in throwback titles is that, well, one of the major problems to be called out is the lack of diversity. Since it is harder to find well-known kid-lit books from years gone by that are written by black people, indigenous people, and other authors of color, I feel that my role in being a better ally and using this podcast to advance anti-racism is in reframing the kinds of questions I ask my guests about the lack of representation in the books we cover and in working harder to bring a diversity of voices to the show. I am really excited to step up my game there. Another goal that's really important and exciting to me, if a little less glamorous, is making this podcast a little more sustainable. As you may or may not know, I am starting grad school this fall. I'll be working on my master's full-time while also keeping on many of my freelance clients. If I'm being honest, I had moments earlier this year where I thought I may have to take the podcast off my plate come fall, but I'm feeling a renewed energy to keep it going. Now, the trick is in finding ways to help it better sustain itself and, let's be honest, better compensate me for my time. It takes a lot of hours every week. I've been thinking a lot lately about how I can bring on sponsors and advertisers that feel aligned with SSR because I really don't want to drive you guys crazy with ads that feel out of place. I'd also love to grow the Patreon community. As SSR grows, I am always setting my sights on higher profile guests as well. That's an exciting goal to think about, even if it does feel a little intimidating too. I am also excited to continue to grow our social media community, not necessarily in terms of numbers, but in terms of the ways we engage in conversations about books. Since I was just talking about getting out of my comfort zone by inviting increasingly high-profile people onto the show, I guess now is the time to answer M. Goldschlager's other question, which was about my dream guests. I would absolutely love to have Ashley Spivey on the show. For those of you who don't know, Ashley was a former Bachelor contestant who has since gone on to be a voice for a lot of important causes. She also runs Spivey's Book Club. I've reached out to her a few times and haven't gotten a response. If you would love to hear her on SSR and you're a fan too, feel free to spam her on social media on my behalf. It would be really cool to talk to any of the other celebrities who run popular book clubs. Reese Witherspoon, Emma Watson, or the mother of all book clubs, Oprah Winfrey. I would love to have the authors of any of the books I've loved lately on too. This is an ever-evolving list, but right now I'd say it includes Glennon Doyle, Kylie Reed, Liz Moore, Britt Bennett, Jessica Simpson, Jasmine Guillory. I could go on, but I'll stop there. Oh, and Monica Padman from Armchair Expert. She would be the absolute dream. She is a very hard person to get in touch with. If anyone has any connections, let me know. And also feel free to spam her on social for me. If you had another podcast, what theme or topic would it be on? This question comes from Tracy Catherine Reeds on Instagram. It's no secret that I am obsessed with what you might call bad TV. And some of my favorite shows to listen to are the podcasts that recap that bad TV. I would love to have a podcast where I casually chat about reality TV with my friends. Now I'm going to move into some more personal questions. There were a lot of questions about our recent move from Brooklyn to Philadelphia. For context, I lived in New York City for eight years. We relocated to Philly in April of 2020. The first question is, why the move to PA? Was it for work, either of you? The move happened for a lot of reasons and had been in the works for a long time. Living in New York was one of my biggest dreams when I was growing up, and it was truly one of the best, most formative experiences of my life. I solidified my best friendships there, figured out what I was most passionate about, and learned a lot about who I was while living there. And while Matt and I were dating for a few years before we moved there, it was really New York where we found our footing as a couple and fell more deeply in love. About two and a half years ago, though, we started to wonder if staying there would be our long-term plan. As you probably know, living in New York City is very expensive, and while there were a lot of things there that I was crazy about, I felt like my quality of life was kind of hitting a plateau. 
Matt and I went back and forth for months about where to go next. Having gone to college in DC and then lived in New York for so long, I knew it had to be another city, but I just didn't know where. We kind of kept putting the decision off because we couldn't agree. We moved to another apartment, we brought Irvin to our family, we kept thinking it would buy us more time in the city we loved. In the end, it was losing my grandmother that created more urgency for me to move. After her very sudden death in September of 2018, I really struggled with my mental health and there were just a lot of things about Brooklyn that were making me anxious and stressed. Ultimately, we decided that we would find our way to Philly, largely because it would get us closer to family. We are now a few hours closer to most of our immediate family members. After doing some research, we also realized that we'd be able to get more for our money here. I was ready to kind of turn down the intensity on daily life, and since moving to Philly would mean less travel time, more space, and a lower cost of living, it all just made sense. I applied to grad school in Philly earlier this year, and when I was accepted, we decided we'd make the move later this summer. When COVID hit, Matt and I realized it made more sense to move sooner. There was no reason for us to pay the ridiculous rent we were paying in New York when neither of us were commuting, and we had so little space that a longer-term quarantine felt crazy to think about. Seriously, big respect for everybody who's living in a New York City apartment through quarantine. As hard as it was to leave our home without really being able to say goodbye to anyone or anything, it felt like the right choice, especially because we had no idea if moving would even be possible as things got worse with the pandemic. Being in Philly will also make it easier for Matt to network and make connections to find a local job once things open up here. And I work for myself, so we had the flexibility to do it earlier than planned. Alana CG on Instagram asked me why we chose our current neighborhood. Apparently, she's considering moving to Philly. Very cool. Throughout the process of figuring out where we wanted to live next, I always said that my ideal situation was a place where I could drive to the grocery store and walk to dinner or drinks. That's exactly what we found here in Chestnut Hill. We have good friends that have lived one neighborhood over in Mount Airy for years, and whenever we came to visit them, they would take us out to dinner or brunch in Chestnut Hill. I fell hard for it the first time I saw it. There are tons of restaurants and bars and shops, plus wide cobblestone streets and beautiful old houses off the main retail street. It has everything you really need, but it's also really charming. We have a Philadelphia street address, but we're really right on the border of city and suburbs, which has helped me strike that drive to the grocery store, walk to dinner balance. Not that I'm going out to dinner these days. Another cool fun fact about this neighborhood is that it's just five minutes away from the town where my dad grew up and where my dad and stepmom lived again for a few years when I was a kid. I didn't really realize this when we picked out this neighborhood, but now that I'm situated, it's been a really special extra perk. I shop at the same grocery store that my grandmother shopped at for years. I feel very rooted here. Kendall Blossoms wants to know, what are you most looking forward to about living in Philly when you can go out? This sounds really general, but I'm really just looking forward to doing more exploring. Obviously, we haven't been able to do a lot of eating out since we've been here, so it will be fun to find our new favorite spots. I am also really excited to be able to host people in our new place. For so long, we were limited in a small apartment in New York, and now we're lucky enough to have a guest room. For obvious reasons, it hasn't made sense for anyone to stay over yet, but I can't wait for that to change. I love hosting. Plus, for many years, I've done the bulk of the traveling to see family, and I'm just really looking forward to being able to invite people to stay here with us instead. I really want to enjoy this new space and explore the neighborhood with the people that I love. I'm going to group these next two questions together because they are kind of one and the same, at least for me. The first is, do you ever plan to write a book, fiction or nonfiction? And the second is, can you tell us about any other creative projects you have in the works? The answer to the first question is yes, yes, yes. Writing a book has been my biggest dream for pretty much as long as I can remember. I've had a lot of false starts, but I'm finally feeling more focused over these last few months. 
Plus, the grad school program I'm starting in the fall is a master's in creative writing, which I'm hoping will really provide me with the structure I've been lacking to finally get this book written. So yeah, that's the biggest creative project I have in the works. I had to submit a pretty hefty writing sample in order to apply to grad school, and I used that opportunity to write the first few chapters of a book that I started to conceptualize on our trip to Thailand last year. It's a YA novel, and for the moment, I think that's pretty much all I'm ready to share. But I hope I have more to share in the future. I've been trying to be a little bit more open about my writing on social media, so stay tuned. The final question of today's episode is one that has come up in slightly different versions on other Q&As, but the answer is always evolving. Here it is. What has been your biggest takeaway from the podcast? Recently, I'm feeling like the podcast has taught me a lot about what it means to put yourself out there. So many good things have come from it, but there's responsibility attached to it too. I've learned that it's not enough for me to have all of these well-formed opinions in my head. If I'm going to put myself out there, I have to figure out how to communicate those to others as well. I'm actually a pretty private person, so balancing that responsibility with my personal need to process and communicate things privately has been a challenge. But being the face of the podcast has forced me to work through it, and it's taught me a lot about myself and what's important to me. That is all I've got for you today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Bye! Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.